Welcome to this week's podcast from the Equipping Church. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jacob as well. Hallelujah. Open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. It's Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost isn't about a denomination. It's not about a particular movement. Pentecost was about the empowering and the birthing of the church. That's what it was all about. It was, it was a feast time uh, in the Old Testament. It was a time of harvest. And that's what Pentecost is all about, church. It's all about harvest. God desires to bring in a harvest of people to himself. That's what it all comes down to is that he is looking for a people. Acts 1.8 says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. This has nothing to do with the message this morning. This is the intro to the intro. And I want to say to you this morning that we we are a Pentecostal church, not just because we're part of a denomination, but because we believe in the full gospel. We believe in the full gospel that Jesus came to empower his people so that we might be his witnesses and we might demonstrate and do the things that Jesus did. I talked a little bit, a little bit during Encounter Weekend. You know, people say they want to be like Jesus. Well, if you want to be like Jesus, have the signs that followed him. Cast out some demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, do all that fun stuff, and then we'll be on the way to being like Jesus. And he even said to his disciples, these works that I do, even greater works you shall do. Well, I, I just, I, I want to see some people do the works and then do the greater works, right? All right, Numbers chapter 14, verse 11 is where we're going to be. The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me despite all the signs which I performed in their midst? I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them, and I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for by your strength you brought up this people from your midst, from their midst. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people, for you, O Lord, are, an, are seen eye to eye, while your cloud stands over them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, because the Lord could not bring this people into the land which he promised them by oath. Therefore, he slaughtered them in the wilderness. But now I pray, let the power of the Lord be great as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you have also forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Verse 20, so the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word, but indeed as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Now, here's the context of this passage. We have the children of Israel who had been in rebellion against God. I mean, here he had performed so many signs to get them out of their Egypt. He had worked so many miracles on the process of getting them out of Egypt. And they get into the wilderness and they start to grumble and complain. 
They had had encounter after encounter after encounter with the Lord. I mean, some of the things he did, and I could go into all the signs and wonders that he performed. He brought frogs to prove that the frog god of the Egyptians had no power. He turned the river into blood because they believed that their god was the giver of blood. And yet, here Moses is performing all these signs and wonders, and he's leading them out of Egypt. The Red Sea has been parted, and they get into the wilderness. And because of a complaining spirit, they get stuck in the process. The 11-day journey turned into 40 years of walking around the same mountain. 40 years of walking around the same mountain because it didn't look like what they thought it should look like on the journey to the promised land. And the temptation for us in following God is that we can get set free of something, and then we can go into a new season and complain because the new season doesn't look exactly like we thought it should look like. And so then we start this grumbling and this complaining. We end up stuck in a worse situation than we were before. And so in the context of this, the children of Israel had been rebelling against God. And God is done. He's like, okay, that's it. I brought them out of Egypt. I've done all this stuff. They don't get it yet. I'm just going to wipe them out and I'll start over with you, Moses. You and me, Moses, we're, we're good. We're on good terms. You and I, we'll start a whole new nation. We'll, we'll get it done. But Moses had the heart of an intercessor. He begins to appeal to the Lord. He begins to go into this realm of intercession. And he, he begins to remind the Lord, but Lord, you brought them out. And if you don't take them into the promised land, the Egyptians are going to say, you couldn't do what you said you'd do. So you have to take them in, not for their sake, but because of who you are. Because you are uh, slow to anger. You're abundant in loving kindness. You're forgiving iniquity. And he begins to remind. And then at the end of this discourse, when the Lord relents and says, Okay, Moses, you, you, you touched my heart. I hear you. The heart of God changes. And yet there's this awesome declaration at the end of this, this discourse, he says, But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. We're in our series, Going for the Glory. See, God's will has always been to reveal His presence and His reality to the world. And here is the promise. This will happen. There will be a day when the whole earth is full of the glory of God. This is the reason that Jesus has not returned yet because there has not come the day where that reality has been truth, where the whole earth is full of the glory of God. How does God reveal his glory? Well, in the Old Testament, he did it by a pillar of fire. He did it by a pillar of cloud. There was an ark of covenant. There was a place where God chose to rest in the earth. And throughout the Bible, we see that it was clearly manifest. We talked last week about the the Mount of Transfiguration. There was this display of glory. John 2.11, he turns the water into wine and says through that miracle that God manifested His glory. In John 11.40, when He raises Lazarus from the dead, Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And here's the result. Through these series of miraculous events of God, the glory of God is clearly seen. And yet we find in our lives that it seems to be that the glory of God is limited to certain arenas. 
I think we could all say that's true, that we have yet to see the fulfillment that all the earth shall see the glory of the Lord. Because whenever God is seen to move and demonstrate himself and to present himself, it is seen as his glory being manifest. This is the expression of his love and his presence. His glory is the expression of his love and his manifest presence his deed, and his character. But the question that I think we have to ponder is how can the glory of God fill the whole earth? What dynamic will achieve this event? What would occur that will see the presence and miraculous moving of God fill the whole earth? Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4. We're going to look at two verses here. Here's what it says. Verse 16, therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. I want you to catch the weight of that this morning. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Another place in the Bible, it speaks of us being transformed from glory to glory. God is working on our lives to be carriers of the glory of God. He is working on our lives to carry the weight of of the glory. So, for the glory to fill the whole earth, he needs to have a people who carry the presence of God in and around their lives to infiltrate every strata of society to present themselves there so that that area is filled with the glory of God. How does he do it? We who carry the glory of God fill the earth. How does he demonstrate his glory in the whole earth? He has a people who are demonstrators of his presence who carry the glory of God. You are the Ark of the Covenant now. You are the place that God dwells. He doesn't dwell in a box in a tent anymore. He got out of the box and he got into you. And it should be said of us that our shadow's dangerous. It should be said of us that where we go, it is like that walking mobile tabernacle of the Most High God. It should be dangerous when we walk into a room. Demons should flee, not serve you a meal. So how does that happen? How do we become so full of the glory of God? See, it's more than just some enriching spiritual experience. And I think that's the trouble with some of our Western thinking is that we've turned the glory into God as a thrill and a chill. We've turned it into just an experience rather than a lifestyle. We've turned the glory of God into some distant thing. All will experience glory in heaven. And yes, we will. There will be a day where we will see Him with unveiled faces. There will be a day where we transition into that glory. But in this moment, we have a job to do. We have a principle to be fulfilled. To spread the glory of God through the earth. This is what the kingdom of God was always about. This is why we want to develop those healing and prophetic teams. This is why we have Encounter Weekends, so that you can get healed up and freed up and filled up and charged up so that you can be a carrier of the glory. 
So this momentary light affliction is the reason to have our lives positioned in such a way that we each carry a greater and increasing dimension of the glory of God. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 17. We're going to jump around in the New Testament today. John chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus is talking to the Father here. And it's an incredible prayer. He's praying here. And this is what he says. "I, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. What an incredible prayer. Here Jesus is praying, I ask on behalf of these alone, not on, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe. Jesus was praying for you. In that prayer, he was praying. I'm not asking just for these 12 that have walked with me. I'm not asking for just these who have been so intimately acquainted. I'm asking on behalf of those who will hear of me because of what they say. The gospel was presented to us because the disciples presented it to other people who presented it to other people. And 2,000 years later, the gospel is still being preached in the earth. And Jesus was praying 2,000 years ago, I pray not just for the ones now, but for the ones who will hear then that they may know my glory. That they will know. And so here's the first principle of this prayer that we must understand, that Jesus and the Father were one. That their relationship was that of incredible intimacy and unity. It was out of that relationship, Jesus said, I only do the things that I see the Father doing. As he was in communication and relationship with the Father, he was constantly living under the direction and the directives of the Father. He was obedient, he was submitted, he was empowered, and that intimacy with the Father was evident. He says that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they may also be in us. And out of that intimacy that he had with the Father, he says, as you and I are one, I want them to be one. His success Not just because he was God. He was fully God and fully man. We do not deny the the deity of Christ. Don't hear me saying that this morning. I'm not denying his deity. He operated as the God-man. But in that, he was in such relationship with the Godhead, with the Father, that that intimacy drove his ability to be the God-man and stay out out of sin. It was that relationship with the Father And so then the second principle here is that there's an invitation to participate in that unity. He says that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. Jesus seeks to share that intimacy with us that he had with the Father. So everything he had, we could have. 
Everything he was and everything he did, we could become and we could do. If we can see this, it is an invitation into this incredible circle of love. The Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father. And then he says, and you be in the middle of us. Hector and Susanna, come stand up here real quick. I'm going to use you as an illustration. Hector, stand over here, and Susanna, stand over here. As the Father is in relationship with the Son, and there is this unity between the two of them. Now, come hold hands. Just just like that. No, turn that way. As they are one, Jesus is praying this prayer. He says, Father, as I am in you and you are in me, let them be in us. And we're invited into the middle of the relationship of the Godhead. Right into the middle of that. But see, most of us live on the outside of it. We live on the outside and we pray in this direction. But when Jesus was communicating with the Father and he's saying, I'm in you and you are in me, let them be in us. He was inviting us into the discussion between the Father and the Son. He was inviting us into the middle of this love relationship of the Father and the Son so that in that we could hear the word of the Lord. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. In the middle of this discourse happening in the Godhead, He invites us in. And He says, the glory that you've given me, I want to give to them. What an incredible invitation from Jesus into this relationship. Acts 4.13, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. The evidence that was on the disciples' lives of Peter and John was not that they had the best education. It was not that they'd been trained by the best rabbis. They were fishermen. But what it was is they could say, they've been with Jesus. They had been in the middle of that. They had come into that. And there was something about the relationship, the intimacy, the reality that caused this testimony. And it's exactly as God sees it occurring for you and I, that when we get in the mix, when we get in the middle of it all, it's like a partnership. It's like that business opportunity. There's those risks and those benefits. What are our risks? Really, our risks are ourselves. Our own pride, our own comfort, our own, our own insecurities. We lay those risks, but the risks are far outweighed by the benefits of coming into the partnership. Because now we have the same benefits as the partner. And Jesus prayed it. He said, the glory which you've given me, I give to them that they may be one, just as we are one. I and them and you and me that they may be perfected. Because we were called to come into the same partnership that Jesus had with the Father. It was an invitation to enjoy all that Jesus enjoyed in this relationship. And people would see this connection and they would therefore be convinced that they were of God. These untrained, uneducated men have been with Jesus. And then verse 22 that I just read, the glory which you've given me, I've given them that they may be one just 
as we are one. This third principle is the access to and the receiving of the glory. It's the same opportunity for intimacy. It's the same opportunity for displaying the glory of God. It's the same opportunity for expressing the unity of relationship with God as seen in Jesus can be seen in us. That people would be able to say, they've been with Jesus. Jesus is in them and they are in Jesus. Jesus has given the same glory to us as he had with the Father. This is the same Godhead that in the Old Testament says, I will share my glory with no one. I will share it with no one. And then Jesus, the God-man, comes and he says, the same glory, Father, you've given me, I now release to them. I'm inviting them into that same glory. I'm inviting them into that same presence. I'm inviting them into the middle of it. Let me put it another way. John 1.16 For His fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. He didn't dole it out just in a measure. For His fullness we have received and grace upon grace. Ephesians 3.19 And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. There's a great illustration. Full is not full until it is overflowing. Full is not full until it is overflowing. Here is the issue. We must see the opportunity and the positioning that God has placed before us. That we, called to display everything He is to the world, His love, His power, His healing, His redemptive grace, it's all about displaying the glory of God. Jesus put it this way in John 17, 4, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me, to do. Doing the Father's work is to glorify God. See, I think we often consider worship as the way that we glorify God. That's how we often consider it. But actually, doing His works is a significant way of glorifying God. We can bring glory to God in our worship. I love worship. I spend a lot of time in worship. It's my primary way of intimacy with God. But I think we stop short of fully displaying His glory because we stop short of doing His works. We cannot settle for just bringing glory. We must glorify, and there is a difference. We can, I'm going to say that again. We cannot stop short of just bringing glory. We must also glorify. How do we glorify? By accomplishing that which He sent us to do. And the result is that we end up with huge confidence to move in the power of God. You have received all the fullness, all the glory, all the benefits of relationship and partnership with the Father. It's all for us to enjoy. It's all for ours to display so that the world might see the reality of God in our lives. I'm going to start closing this morning. I didn't say I'm closing. I said I'm going to start. 
This is why it's critical to us to pray for people. It's Pentecost Sunday. I said it already. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power. You shall receive power. Dunamis. You shall receive an empowerment. I think so many times we focus in Pentecost on what happened in Acts chapter 2. But Acts chapter 2 wouldn't have happened if Acts chapter 1 hadn't happened. Jesus spent 40 days, 40 days teaching the disciples about the kingdom before he ascended. And in Acts 1-4, it says, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. I want to say to you, I think, and this is just my opinion, but based on what I just read, I think we spend too much time worrying about when the end is coming and not enough time operating in the power that he called us to operate in. He says, it is not for you to know times or epics which the Father has fixed. He has already fixed it. He's already set it in place. He's already written the end. But he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who's been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. I think too many of us have stood looking at the sky, waiting for his return. Listen, I long for the Lord's return. Some days more than others. Jesus, come back. But the, they, they were corrected for doing that. Why, why do you stand looking? For the same way he went up, he's coming back. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they'd entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 sons, uh, sorry, persons, was there together and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. And so they go on and they, in this discourse of time, in this, this time, they select another apostle, someone to take Judas's place. So they weren't just sitting around church. They weren't just sitting up and, okay, he said to wait. They couldn't even pray in tongues yet. No, they were actually taking care of church business. 
They were being strategic. Okay, we've got something to do. Jesus left us a mission. He told us to wait, that something's coming, power's coming, the Holy Spirit's coming. But in the meantime, let's begin to wait, to to plan for what's next because we've been given a mission. See, I think sometimes we sit around just waiting for the Holy Spirit to do something. Okay, God, you've called me to missions. A 747 is not going to pull up in your driveway and say, hop on. So in the meantime, until the Holy Spirit empowers you to go, you need to start planning. All right, I need a passport. All right, I need to to start talking to leadership. Are there any mission trips I can go on? What is the plan? What are we doing about missions? Is, can I go somewhere? You start asking the questions. Peter stands up and says, Scripture had to be fulfilled. Judas had to, to do what he did, but we need to replace him. And then it says, And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. So it suggests that they had waited, did some business, had to do some things, And then they were in one place. And then the Holy Spirit came. Without Acts chapter 1, which was this command, don't worry about the end times. Stop looking at the sky and get busy about the Father's business. You want the glory of God? Those are your keys. Stop looking at the sky. Stop worrying about the end times and get busy about the Father's business. It is the will of God to display His glory, knowing His reality in our lives, doing supernatural works, And we must see that we have been equipped with everything necessary to accomplish the works of God. Now, if you're not baptized in the Holy Ghost this morning, if you've never had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you need it. As a believer, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, is it a separate thing? It is. They were already saved. And he said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. God has left the responsibility of his kingdom and displaying his glory to us. And the challenge is to step out and do the works. But let me tell you, you can't do it without the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to step out and do His works. But I see it like this, and I'm now closing. God is wanting to be extravagant in His love and display of love toward people. But He now does that through us. I've said it many times. God could, in His omnipotence, from the clouds... Jesus is the way. Follow him. He doesn't do it that way. He uses you and me. We are his workmanship, as Ephesians 2 says. What? For the displaying of his glory. He crafted us to be displays of his glory. And I see that it is he just wanting, waiting for us to step out. No matter how insignificant you see the ministry to people, how ineffective you may feel, it is like God is just waiting for someone, someone to have a go, and He will display His glory. He will display the wonders of His grace and power simply because He found a willing and open vessel. One of the things I love about Pastor Hector is he's just up for it. He's like, I'll go do this. I... If I fall flat on my face, well, then I'll pray while I'm down there. But I honor his, his willingness to say, let's, let's do it. 
We want to feed international students. Let's do it. He just says, go. I'll just do it. Write a book. I'll write a book. And he did. It's over there. Give to missions. You can have a copy. Jesus is just looking for us to be willing. Now, like I said, you can't do it without him. You can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. You got to get in the middle. Find yourself in the middle of that beautiful dance of the Godhead. It's a beautiful thing to be caught in the fellowship of the Lord. I want to be caught up in the fellowship of the Lord. I want to be right in the middle of it so that I could display His glory. This morning, we're going to have baptisms following service. We have a few people who went through Encounter Weekend and wanted a fresh start wanted to get baptized. And we're going to do that following service this morning. But this morning, if you've never made a decision to make Jesus your Lord, you've never chosen to follow Him, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. If you've never made Him Lord of your life, surrendered yourself to His Lordship. Maybe you're at a point in your life where you're saying, I did that a long time ago, but man, I need to renew that commitment to Him this morning. If that's you this morning, maybe you're watching by the live stream. You're saying this morning, Pastor Jacob, I want to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. It's real simple. If that's you this morning, I just want you to slip up your hand. You don't have to be embarrassed. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. If you're watching by live stream, in just a second, we're going to pray a prayer together. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's Jesus who saves you. It's a good introduction. This morning, if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Church, why don't we pray collectively? Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. I say I'm sorry. This morning, I receive your forgiveness. I receive the price you paid. I yield my life to you. Today, I declare you are my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or visit www.equippingchurch.us.